When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 4.6 billion. The Earth forms. Cambrian. 542 million. Complex life explodes. Permian Triassic. 251 million. 90% of species die. Cretaceous tertiary. 65 million. Meteor kills the dinosaurs. 55 million. Primates appear. 2.3 Million. Pleistocene. 200,000. Humans. 20,000. Agricultural. 250. Industrial revolution. Great acceleration. The Anthropocene. Welcome to Generation Anthropocene. I'm your host, Mike Osborne. After several months away on hiatus, we are back. A lot has happened while we've been away, but the Anthropocene hasn't gone anywhere. We have a ton of stories in the works about people, the planet, and people on the planet. Over the next several weeks, we hope to be releasing shows again on a regular basis. Our first story is brought to us by Miles Traer. Let's just get right to it. For the past three years, Anne Sanquini has been working on a project in Nepal. Recently, she flew to Kathmandu to meet with her team. And it was a really beautiful day. Um, We were on the top floor of a hotel in a little conference room there. And, um, you know, there's a balcony outside, and it was just gorgeous. Anne is a Stanford Ph.D. student in geological sciences. She studies natural hazards, specifically earthquakes, and how scientists can motivate people to prepare for the risk of collapsing homes and buildings. She and her team had just sat down to watch a film they'd produced about earthquake preparedness. It was a Saturday. The mood was festive. It was uh, middle of the day. It was a little afternoon. I remember um, we were supposed to go to lunch in about 15 minutes. Soon after Anne hit play on the movie projector, they felt the first tremors. It wasn't so much like little jolts that you might feel, like like when the fault's nearby or whatever. It was this deep rolling, the floor lifting and falling. Um, and then you feel the, the direction change. It just keeps shifting the direction that's coming from. And I can hear glass crashing. There's a horrible groaning, rattling, extremely loud. And I really thought we would go into free fall at any minute, that the floor would just give way below us. It was April 25th, 2015. This was the first of two major earthquakes that rattled the region. As Anne and her team were taking shelter under the tables, millions of people across Kathmandu Valley were experiencing the same terror of a magnitude 7.8 earthquake. In the conference room, as the shaking escalated... Then the weirdest thing happened, okay, after about 15 seconds or so of this horrible noise and shaking, mixed in with that... I could hear music from the opening scenes of my film because the projector was still on and and it was just going to the next thing that was queued up. But actually from that I later calculated that 
the music goes for this long, then somebody starts talking, and so I'm pretty sure the shaking was, it was at least a minute of shaking. Anne knew right away just how big the scale of destruction might be. Kathmandu is one of the fastest-growing cities in the region, and in her research, she learned that the majority of buildings are not earthquake-safe. Anne has focused her efforts specifically on retrofitting schools, many of which are built with bricks or stone held together with mud. They're highly prone to collapse in an earthquake. With her film, Anne had worked with 16 schools to complete retrofits. The schools served nearly 10,000 students. But on the day of the earthquake, the schools were empty. It was a Saturday. After the initial shaking subsided, Anne and her team quickly made their way from the top floor of the hotel down to the lobby. We went quick, quick, quick out of the building. There was water all over the floor of the lobby, which didn't really register. I thought maybe a pipe broke or something. And then we got out into the um, open space near the hotel, and we were trying to stay away from the buildings but also away from the power lines. And the big brick fence around the hotel had collapsed into the road and was blocking roads. And that was common. You saw a lot of uh, fences down like that. And I found out later that the uh, pool had turned into like a big tsunami and lost many feet of water, and it, it flooded the first floor of the hotel. Once they were outside, they began to regroup. Everyone's next thought was the safety of their family, and people who lived nearby rushed home right away. But the rest of us formed sort of a human caravan, and what we would do is walk to someone's house and then sort of drop them off and then just continue walking. And we were going to leave at about 4.30, because by then the aftershocks had started dying down, although they were, they were severe. I mean, it was like every few minutes. Anne didn't go back to her hotel. She stayed with the group, and together they navigated through the destruction. As this human caravan made its way through the wreckage, she took in the extent of the damage. This is the earthquake that I had feared since starting to work on this three years ago. As night fell, the family of one of Anne's research assistants urged her to stay with them. They didn't want her to be alone at the hotel. As they approached the house, Anne saw a construction site nearby. The building looked stable and safe. It was, of all things, a schoolhouse. And it was the most beautiful construction. Like, nice, thick pillars, lots of rebar, and I thought, wow, that's where I want to be. After brief deliberation, they thought, why don't we sleep in the school? And that's what we ended up doing. There were maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 people sleeping on the floor in this classroom. And they had a candle lit on the concrete floor, and that candle was on all night. They made it through the night. The next morning, Anne reconnected with two of her team members. Together, they walked back through the city to help clear the rubble and document the scene. While I was walking with my team, we kept seeing homes that did well and homes that did terrible. Okay, and we took pictures of everything. So the older mud-mortared structures either had huge diagonal cracks from all the corners of the windows or were just a pile of bricks. And they were really now getting deeply, deeply sad because they said, we have lost all of our heritage monuments. I don't know why anyone will come to Nepal because there's nothing to see. But they really are just like kind of in mourning. They're just deeply hurt, you know. 
because some of these these monuments, you know, they're centuries and centuries old, the temples and the palaces. If you followed the news coverage, you probably have some sense for the scale of destruction. At the time of this recording, there are over 8,000 reported deaths, and rescue efforts are still underway. But as Anne surveyed the city, she saw wreckage and heartache strangely juxtaposed with moments of normalcy. As I walked, there was like a street vendor making momos. Those are like their dumplings that they have there. There was another street vendor making like fried mushrooms. There were people selling fruits and vegetables. And I go, that's completely normal. But then people would pass us with like all their worldly belongings. After several days in Kathmandu, Anne returned home, but she hasn't left the country behind. She is still taking in the experience and is currently working with her Nepalese team to adapt their program for the rebuilding effort. One thing we forget is that most of the things are exactly the same as they were the day before the earthquake. I can tell from my research in general, people are aware of and want earthquake-resistant structures, but they don't always know how to go about it. Anne recently learned that all of the schools that appeared in her film survived the quake. It's a small success story in the midst of a much larger tragedy. At the same time, it's also a reminder of how much more could have been done and how much more still needs to be done for the future. You can find Miles's written version of this story, along with a slideshow and a video featuring Anne, at earth.stanford.edu. This episode was produced by Leslie Chang and me, Mike Osborne. Thanks to Anne Sanquini for sharing her story with us. The music in her film is by Yuki Kazi, and we also used music by Roka Vako. We want to thank Pam Matson, Dean of Stanford School of Earth, Energy, and Environmental Sciences. This episode was recorded at KZSU Stanford 90.1.